Welcome to the V Podcast, where we interview inspiring people from the vegan community. Together, we're going to talk about health, ethics, sustainability, fitness, and the list goes on. Here's your host, Andrea Ronica. Welcome back, friends, and thank you for tuning in to the V Podcast. I hope you're doing well and that you're excited for this new interview. In the previous episode, we had a chance to talk with a marketing director for Purezza, our friend Rob. For those who don't know, Purezza is the UK's first vegan and plant-based pizzeria, and it was truly exciting to get to know what's behind it and the mission of this amazing business. But you know by now how much I believe it's important to bring as many inspiring people as possible from the vegan community. And today we have a special guest. She's an animal rights activist, founder of Happy Hen Animal Sanctuary, TEDx speaker, and much more. Hi, Zoe, and welcome to the V Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. It's awesome. But before getting into the topic of this interview, let me tell you I managed to, to find you. And as weird as it might sound, I got tagged in one of your posts by a person from my community. I then had the chance to have a look at your profile on Instagram. And by the way, it's Zoe underscore Rooster for everyone who wants to check it out. And it was pretty clear to me the reason why you were, you are actually on Instagram and, uh, you know, the kind of message you're sharing. But to better understand who Zoe is, would you like to share with us your story and what your background is? Yeah, so um, I am the founder of Happy Hen Animal Sanctuary, like you said. So um, I've, you know, developed a really close relationship with non-human animals, working with them and rescuing them from factory farms, from slaughterhouses and from other abusive situations. Um, I founded the sanctuary, uh, I guess, eight years ago now when I was 11 years old. Um, I'm 19 now. Um, and it basically, it all started because my family got, uh, six, six chickens and I realized that they were just as amazing and unique and special as the dogs and cats I had grown up with. And it completely shook my world. Um, and I, I knew that, you know, chickens are going to be a part of my life. And when I found out what's happening to them on factory farms, it just broke my heart. And I knew that I had to do something, you know, it just didn't seem right to, to sit back and be silent. So um, I asked my mom, can we start a chicken rescue? <laughs> and she said, maybe. Um, and I was just like, oh my God, she didn't say no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, That's a great start, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. So yeah. I started a website. I got everything going. I gave it a name. And now we've saved um, over a thousand animals um, from the food industry and I'm also an organizer with the Grassroots Animal Rights Network, Direct Action Everywhere. Um, I lead their social media team, and I've been arrested several times um, protesting animal cruelty with DXC. Um, and I also have uh, become, in recent years, very passionate about speaking up against the animal agriculture portions of the 4-H and FFA youth programs, um, where kids are quite literally being taught to whip and beat animals and send animals to slaughter, and they get rewarded with money. Sure. Yeah, we're going to get into that pretty soon. And um, it's truly interesting. Like, your story is really interesting. And do you take care of just hands or do you have like more animals at the sanctuary? 
Yeah, we've got a lot of animals here, not just chickens. We've got um, over 100 chickens, but we also have ducks, geese, pigs, cows, turkeys, goats, sheep, uh, and quails. Yeah, we've got um, pretty much every species that's commonly used for food. Um, It's a land animal we have here at the sanctuary. All right. Yeah, no, I got it. So it's like called a hen animal sanctuary, but at the end of the day, you have more, you take care of more animals. That's absolutely amazing and fantastic. So because probably you started with hens, as you said, but then you expanded, you know, and where are you located? Like we are in San Luis Obispo, California. So that's on the central coast in between San Francisco and Los Angeles. All right. All right. Awesome. Awesome place. That has to, I guess it is like, I've never been there, but I guess it is a wonderful place. Yeah. And, um, what's your like reason for being an activist and you, and what kind of battle you're fighting for? Yeah, I, I think, you know, in the end of the day, my reason always comes back to the animals. Um, and whenever I, you know, forget why I'm doing this and I start to feel disempowered and defeated, I, I think back to all of the the animals who I've personally carried out of factory farms and carried out of slaughterhouses. And and I think about how, you know, someday we want every animal to have a happy ending, um, every animal to be taken from these horrible places and given a better future. Um, And, you know, it's just so not fair what's happening to these beautiful creatures. And, you know, even when we rescue them, their bodies are are honestly still just completely manipulated um, and brutalized by this industry. And uh, unfortunately, I've had to watch a lot of, of animals die, especially chickens who've had their um, bodies genetically manipulated by the egg industry who have a lot of reproductive diseases. And um, whenever I'm sitting with an animal from a factory farm or a slaughterhouse, as they breathe their final breaths, I always promise them that I will do everything that I can to make sure that nothing like this happens anymore in the future, so that, that we have a future that's brighter and safer for these beautiful beings. Yeah, no, I totally understand what you're saying. I had the chance to talk with different centuries before and we talk about this topic and how to deal with death because this is something you you have to deal with whether you like it or not because unfortunately, as you said, these animals are uh, manipulated, like genetically modified and stuff to actually, you know, because, you know, to satisfy what consumer wants, like what part of their body actually the consumer want. We know like we have seen like the chest of these chickens that are huge and they cannot even stand. We all know this by now. And so, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. I understand the suffering. I understand the emotional you have to to go through, like the emotions you have to go through. So uh, I totally get it. And uh, I applaud you for what you do. And I really appreciate your work. Absolutely. And I'm sure also our listeners do appreciate what you do for the animals. And um, before this interview, like I had the chance to go on FFA and website, and uh, this is what I found. This is what they say FFA is. They say it's like a premier youth organization preparing members for leadership and careers in the science, business, and technology of agriculture. And, you know, to better understand, the official name of the organization is the National FFA Organization, and the letters FFA stand for Future Farmers of America. And uh, it's not just about FFA, but it's also about like 4-H. 
And 4H, correct me if I'm wrong, again, it's a, a US-based network of youth organizations whose mission is, like this is what I say, engaging youth to reach their fullest potential while advancing the field of youth development. And in the United States, the organization is administered by the National Institute of Food and Agriculture of the United States Department of Agriculture, so the USDA. And so this is something really big. And uh, I mean, this is what it's stated on their website, but as we all know, when you get to know a certain system and you're part of it in a way, you have a deeper understanding of it. So how would you personally describe these two organizations? Yeah, so 4-H and FFA, like you said, they're both you know youth programs, very heavily um, based on agriculture. And so 4-H is um, a program for kids as young as about five, six years old. It depends on the 4-H chapter. Um, they all have different rules, but very young children um, are allowed to join this program. And it's, it's in the United States and also Canada, actually. Um, Canada also has a pretty big 4-H. Um, so basically, uh, 4-H and FFA both, they have um, a lot of really great programs, um, like le- uh, leadership development public speaking, woodworking, arts and crafts. There's definitely some great things that these programs do that I have no problem with at all. Um, But unfortunately, one of the big parts of these programs is that they assign um, kids uh, an animal to raise for slaughter. So uh, to clarify, kids can, um, they can sign up for a program that's called the market animal program. And that is where they get an animal, um, either a pig, a cow, that's a chicken. Usually if it's chickens or rabbits, they'll raise um, a few chickens and a few rabbits for their project. Um, uh, they raise lambs, goats, basically all your standard um, animals used for food. And they raise them for a few months. These kids love their animals. Um, they take care of them. And, you know, I, I think these kids, for the most part, all of them genuinely really care about their animals. Uh, and then when the time comes and the animal reaches uh, what's considered market weight, the kids take the animals to an auction at a fair, typically over the summer, depends on um, the chapter and the area, but uh, typically there's a summer fair where they uh, take the kids, of it, uh, take the pit, uh, their animals, the kids take their animals and walk them around the auction ring. And they're taught to like whip and prod their animals to control them. So they're like whipping their pigs or prodding their cows um, goats and sheep as they take them around the auction ring and you know it's a typical auction with the loud speaker and everything and um, then people place bids and uh, some some fairs are different but um, the fairs here they're terminal which means that uh, the animals immediately after the auction go straight to a slaughterhouse and the buyer does not ever get the animal alive. So even if you wanted the animal alive, you could not get the animal alive. Every single animal um, is loaded up onto a transport truck and taken to a slaughterhouse and um, is killed. But the main difference between 4-H and FFA is that FFA is actually a class in public schools. So it's a class in public high schools and some public middle schools. Not all schools have it, but um, a significant percentage do, especially in rural areas. And then 4-H is kind of a government-funded youth pro- youth program, kind of youth club, kind of like the Girl Scouts or the Boy Scouts. 
thank you for making clear to us. And uh, because this is something that we don't have here in Europe, at least for what I know. And um, so it was really all new to me when I, again, when I went to your profile and I found about this, I was like, um, I was surprised to say at least, but not so surprised because at the end of the day, this is, you know, what the, the meat industry is trying to do is trying to, you know, make people, um, you know, like not not get too emotional about like what's happening to animals in order to sell their products that at the end of the day, these products are body parts of animals. This is what they are. And uh, so I wanted to, to know a bit more about, you know, what kind of students get involved with 4-H and FFA and is it mandatory? Is it in every school? You know, please tell us a bit more. You told us that it's in rural areas and stuff, but yeah, please tell us a bit more about it. Yeah, so it's most commonly in rural areas. Um, so a lot of cities have it. You know, it's big in Orange County, um, okay. Los Angeles. Some schools in Los Angeles even have it, but um, it's definitely very ingrained in rural communities. Um, and it's not a class that anyone's required to take. Um, but basically, the the story that I hear from students over and over again, specifically who end up taking the FFA class um, at in high school, is they don't really know what they want to take for their electives. So there's an elective requirement in uh, for public high schools. And so they go and they meet with their counselor and their counselor says, hey, well, what are you interested in? Let's find an elective for you. And they say, I love animals. And uh, their counselor says, oh, well, we've got this, uh, they've got this program where you get to raise an animal. And these kids don't really realize what the program is when they sign up and they sign the contract that they're going to do it. They don't really often know what they're getting into. And then they realize, you know, once they have their animal and it's too late, they realize, Oh my gosh, I have to send this animal to slaughter. Um, I have, you know, they're teaching me to whip this animal, prod this animal. They've, you know, punched holes through her ears. They've, they've branded her, you know, um, and, these kids just a lot of them are horrified. Some of them, you know, come from agriculture families and they're used to it. They're already kind of desensitized to, to that kind of thing. But um, the kids who kind of just join FFA in, in high school um, because the counselor tells them to, they're often just horrified. And um, one of the really sad things is that, you know, FFA really discourages people feeling sad or, you know, showing any sort of empathy or emotions regarding their animal going to slaughter. So um, the teachers will bully the students if the students are upset that their animal is going to die. Um, the more experienced students will bully other students who are sad that their animal is going to die. Um, a, a local um, girl here from a local high school, she took FFA. She did it all four years of high school. And every year she would sob and just be completely devastated when it came time to send her animal to slaughter. Um, and all of the other students would bully her and bully her. But you know, for some reason, she just felt like she had to keep taking the class because it's so, you know, they're so good at brainwashing these kids. And then the last year, her senior year of high school, she um, said, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to participate in sending an animal to slaughter anymore, and I'm going to save my lamb. So she actually pulled her lamb out of the auction and saved him. And yeah, there's just a lot of situations like that where these kids just, they just didn't really realize. 
they're brainwashed in a way, as you said. And so, like, uh, what's the age of these kids, these teenagers? Yeah, so um, 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old um, teenagers, most, mostly is FFA. Um, there's also, it's also in middle schools a little bit, so there are some, like, 12, 13-year-olds. And then 4-H is, I think, um, can be as young as five years old. Wow. Raise a small animal for slaughter. So, like, a five-year-old, you know, you'll see five-year-old kids auctioning off a chicken, turkey, or rabbit for slaughter. And then you have to be um, a little bit older to auction off a pig or a larger animal for slaughter. But, yeah, there's literally five-year-old kids, um, you know, out at the fairs auctioning their animals off to die. That's absolutely crazy. This is something I would never thought it would, you know, happen in a civilized world. Yeah. And... Um, I don't know if you ever heard about Gary Urofsky. Mm -hmm. I guess you know him. And uh, once he said, like, place in a room a child, an apple, and a rabbit, and tell me when the child is going to, you know, eat the rabbit and play with the apple. While probably is going to, you know, play with a rabbit and eat the apple. So, like, that's really, in a way, also against our nature. Because, you know... Children are the ones that are more like no, like they're not manipulated by the society. They're just really pure as individuals. So they will do, you know, whatever nature will suggest them to do. So, and um, so, you know, what's happening right now is definitely, I guess, our nature because we wouldn't do that if we wouldn't be, you know, uh, told to do so by also, as you said, by, um, you know, all by senior students and stuff, whenever you feel like sad or stuff, and then you, you are told that you shouldn't feel sad, all this kind of stuff in a way they are telling you to go against your nature. And, um, so I had a chance to talk with some of, you know, this Kate on your profile. I had to, I had the chance to engage with some of them in your comment section and they're pretty young indeed, as you said. And, um, you know, like to better understand the whole thing before talking about, you know, the kids, because anyway, at the end of the day, this is about the animals. This is not about the kids. They're involved in it, but, you know, the ones that are going to be slaughtered, the ones that are going to suffer are the animals. And even though the kids are going to suffer, but their life is not going to be taken away. So this is important to, you know, place, you know, the focus on the animals and not on the kids. But leaving that aside, uh, what's the program structure and how people get involved with it? You told me that already, you know, people get involved to counseling and stuff. But, you know, what's the program structure? How does it work? Yeah, so um, the uh, four, yeah, 4-H chapters and FFA chapters all have a elected leader, so a kid who they've elected to kind of lead it and they, they they've kind of made it like almost like a mini each chapter is almost like a mini organization um okay. and like they'll have like a secretary and it's all the students who kind of make up um make up everything and uh they just you know keep and be, with this leadership uh these leadership roles that they have you know they've they've got it set up um so that these kids become even more ingrained in it because 
you know, they, they feel even more invested in the group when, when, Oh, I'm the treasurer. I'm the president. I'm sure. You know, they feel important in a way. Uh, and then, um, you know, they're even less likely to really think about what they're doing. Um, and yeah, and then they also, of course, you know, they're always trying to recruit people to, to join the programs. You know, they promote, um, it's this great thing for animal lovers, for people who, um, you know, want to spend time with animals and learn about agriculture. And, you know, it's, it's honestly like, it's the kind of, the way that they advertise it is something that would make, you know, when I was a kid, I would have wanted to join because I would have been like, I love animals. I want to hang out with sure. them. Um, you know, so it's just really sad to see that, you know, the people that they're targeting are the very people who care the most. Yeah. Um, and they're getting sensitized. And one really interesting thing that I've, I've noticed and that I, I really think is um, significant is that, you know, FFA, for example, is funded by um, big corporations like Smithfield, which is a massive factory farming corporation, as you probably know. And um, I, I genuinely believe that the whole purpose of 4-H and FFA is to slowly and systematically desensitize these children to violence towards animals that eventually they are okay with factory farming. Because I've also done a lot of work. Um, the local uh, university here, uh, Cal Poly, it's a state school here in California, and it is largely an agriculture school. And they literally have many factory farms and a small slaughterhouse on the campus where they teach agriculture students how to factory farm and how to slaughter animals. And it's like a smaller scale, slightly less bad factory farm. And most of the kids who go into these agriculture classes at the university have just graduated from 4-H and FFA. So they've already been, been desensitized to whipping animals, you know, kind of mutilating animals, lightly mutilating animals and sending animals to slaughter. And then they go to Cal Poly or another ag school like it, and they get desensitized to kind of a slightly less bad, uh, slightly less um, cruel version of a factory farm and a, uh, you know, small scale slaughterhouse. And then after that, after they graduate ag school, they go off and they get involved in Smithfield and they've been slowly desensitized in a very strategic way. Sure. Yeah. And how do you think like these big corporations got involved in the educational system? You know, what's the process of them, you know, to get into it like what's their story if you know it like i don't think that uh you know 4-h and ff have always been around so yeah i mean i'm not i'm not really sure exactly why they you know initially um and when they initially started funding the programs but 4-h and ffa have they've been around for for um over a hundred years now i believe so yeah i think 4-h has been around longer um and yeah, I mean, if you like even, you know, the Charlotte's Web book and movie, um, they don't mention 4-H, but, you know, everything in that movie is honestly, seems to me like it's based off of 4-H because it's raising a pig, there's kids, you know, involved, and then they take the pig to a county fair and they save the pig um, because, you know, they, they realize that, you know, he doesn't deserve to die. Um, but 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, Smithfield and, and uh, other big corporations that donate massive amounts of money to FFA, um, you know, they, they say that they're supporting the future of agriculture, um, that they're funding the future of agriculture. And I've, uh, you know, I've talked to professors at Cal Poly, um, the director of the poultry unit at Cal Poly who runs the factory chicken farms on campus. And he has actually told me that they are really struggling to find people who want to go into this industry. That every, as the, every year goes by, there are less and less people who want to go into the egg industry or the chicken meat industry. And so, you know, they really have a strong motivation right now to recruit people who, um, you know, will ultimately want to work for factory farm companies. And so that's a big problem that the agriculture industry is facing. So I think ultimately um, their motive is that they just need people to run these factory farms. I'm curious to know, like, is there any program over there in the U.S. to support, like, you know, plant-based companies in the same way that, you know, um, they're supporting the meat industry? Um, not that I know of, which is definitely a problem. Um, I mean, for h and FFA actually do have um, plant agriculture programs as well. Okay. So, I mean, what would be amazing to see, honestly, is – you know, FFA and 4-H, there's no reason why they need to be having kids raise animals for slaughter, obviously. Apart from so, money, apart from getting the money. money. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it would be more beneficial to everybody, to the whole world, if instead of teaching these kids to, to be cruel and to kill animals, to just focus on their great there are other great programs like plant agriculture because, um, you know, it'd be great to see more people going into the plant agriculture industry and supporting a plant-based food system. Absolutely. And um, like I've heard, as you said also before, that like, you know, do the parents like, first of all, let me ask you, like, do the parents have to uh, sign the contract agreement or are the children, even though they are like under 18, that have to sign the agreement? Like, how does it work? Yeah. So minors, at least here in the United States, can't um, sign a contract and have it be legally okay. binding. So the parents sign the contract, which honestly makes it worse in a way because, sure. you know, kids don't understand what's happening. They don't have any say in this contract that's being signed. And I'm not sure actually if 4-H does contracts, but FFA um, has started doing contracts where basically you're signing a contract saying that you will send your animal to slaughter and you will not send your animal to an animal sanctuary. Uh, so recently we were trying to help uh, a kid at the Orange County Fair um, rescue a pig, his pig Pumba, and he was, you know, he said when I reached out to him and, and offered to, to, you know, provide um, a life for his pig and not have his pig go to slaughter, he said it was a dream come true, and he was so incredibly grateful and excited, and we literally had somebody on the way to the fairgrounds to pick up his pig when the um, FFA teacher at his high school said, oh, no, no, you can't do this. You signed, your mom signed a contract saying that you would not save your pig. Um, and so his pig went to slaughter. No, no. And uh, like, so there's no like, uh, you know, some sort of counseling or stuff that explain to those kids what kind of contracts their parents are signing, right? Is there any, yeah. Yeah, not that I know of. And, you know, I, I've had kids literally tell me 
that they did not really understand that they did not, you know, no one really explained to them what it meant when they sold their, like what was going to happen when they sold their animal, that their animal was going to go to slaughter until like a week before the fair. Um, Kids have told me that they literally did not understand until then. Wow. Wow. That's really, that's really, um, you know, sad that those kids don't even know what's happening around them and uh, the whole thing they're getting into. And um, so now I have more of an ethical question for you. And do you personally consider these teenagers victims of the system they live in or guilty in a way? Yeah, I think that these these teenagers and these children are 100% victims. And I think, you know, everyone is in a way a victim of circumstance. And, um, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of these kids have, you know, really abusive family situations where um, they don't want to do 4-H and FFA because they, they don't believe in slaughtering animals and that their parents are forcing them to. I had um, a girl who was want, really wanted to save her pig and her dad actually, um, it was like this whole crazy situation where her dad was extremely abusive and her dad had actually killed her mom. Wow. Um, I don't know if it's all true. This is what I was told. Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah. So she like literally was like, I want to save my pig. I don't know what to do because my dad will literally kill me if I don't send like, like she literally thought she might like her dad might like kill her if she did not send her pig to slaughter. Um, and you know, when she, she brought up to her dad, the idea of not sending uh, her pig to slaughter, he, his whole thing was, this is a really important lesson for you to learn. You need to learn that this is the way of life. This is how we do it. Um, this is, you know, how, how animal agriculture works. And, um, you know, I've, I've seen kids, um, I had one, one experience that also really, to me, um, reminded me that these kids are victims is um, a few years ago at the Santa Barbara County Fair that we were outside protesting and, and speaking up and talking to the children um, who were auctioning off their animals for slaughter. And a couple kids um, brought, you know, they, they'd written some animal, uh, like anti-animal rights messages, like bacon, cheeseburgers, you know. Yeah, you know, always whatever. the same, yeah. Yeah. Um, on like the back of like their parents' beer box. Right. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they like, and they like came out and they were like kind of counter protesting our protest. Sure. So, and they were like chanting like bacon and, and whatever. And then, um, so they were doing that for like an hour. And then, you know, we finished our protest and um, we came back the following night. And one of the girls who had been the night before, um, protesting us uh, with the care sign that said bacon, she came up to me and she said, Zoe, you made my friend cry. And I said, oh, what? And this girl's like probably like nine, 10 sure. years old. She said, you made my friend cry. And I said, oh, why, why did I make your friend cry? How did, how did I make her cry? And she said, well, she was listening to you talk and she realized she doesn't want to kill her pig. Yeah, they're not and aware I was like, oh, and yeah, and I was like, that was just like a very profound moment for me of just, you know, seeing like, you know, how much these kids 
don't really want to be doing this, even if they're out there, you know, commenting on my posts. We love bacon. Um, I love animals, like whatever they're saying, that's not really how they feel. Yeah, no, I understand. And uh, like, um, I don't know, like, you you know, definitely better because you're into this. Um, Talking with the people like, you know, with those kids, teenagers, whatever you want to call them on your profile. uh, I had the feeling that some of them were aware of what was going to happen and they were okay with it in a way. Indeed, I've also seen like a photo, a picture on your profile. Uh, you know, when these kids like, you know, paint it on the back of some animals, something like, you know, yummy or delicious and stuff like that. And that's pretty, pretty disturbing if you think about it, because you're not seeing the animal as another living being, but you're seeing it as a, you know, a product, like as a, a piece of meat instead of seeing and, uh, you know, in, enjoying that animal as another soul, just like you and me and those kids, you know. So I, I don't know if everyone there is not aware. And um, if they are aware and they do, even though they know what's going to happen and they do keep they keep going with it, then, you know, those kind of people are the one that actually, this is just a personal thing, scare me the most because, you know, they're not able to, and this is not even about, you know, feeling empathy, feeling compassion, love. It's just about justice. It's about respecting. And uh, in a way, I do understand what you're saying, just to give it a little bit of t- context. Probably they come from a really hard, uh, you know, background, as you said. And uh, maybe this is just, you know, the normal evolution, like of their behavior. But um, it's really, really disturbing. Those pictures were really, really disturbing. And you definitely hit the, you know, like you hit the spot with those. People are going to, to think, indeed, under your post, there are so many comments, so many comments every time. And this is great because you, you start conversations. And um, that's absolutely awesome. So what do you think of these people, like the ones that are aware of it and they keep going with it and they're okay with it? Yeah, um, I think, you know, it's obviously a very disturbing and interesting thing to see, you know, literal children sure. who appear to be passionate about killing animals. Um, and I guess one thing that I've seen um, throughout my work um, with 4-H and FFA is that most of these kids, their first year, they're the most sad when they send their animal to slaughter. And then the next year, they're a little bit less sad and then a little bit less sad. And it just goes on and on and on. And by the end of the program, the kids who some kids, they'll they join 4-H, their families put them in 4-H the moment that they're old enough. And then they go all the way through to FFA and they graduate FFA in high school. So they're in 4-H or FFA their entire childhood. And they become just more and more desensitized to this. And I think, you know, saying things like um, bacon and, and making jokes and painting yummy or delicious on their backs, I think in a way is a defense mechanism for these kids yeah, to, be. you know, further 
um, turn off their emotions and not think about what they're doing. Because when these kids, I've seen them think about what they're doing. And when they do, they start sobbing. And they are just devastated. And, and when I go on the last day of the fairs, um, the night that all the animals are going to slaughter, you know, I've seen countless kids just, they'll take their animals out and they'll like hide with their animals because they don't want anyone to see them. And they'll just like hug their animals and sob. They'll just sob for their animals. Um, and I think, I honestly think it's less with most of these kids. You know, I definitely think there are some kids who, um, have gotten to a point where they really just genuinely don't care anymore. But I think for the most part, these kids, um, they care and they just don't want people to know that they care. Um, so they do what, you know, everyone else is doing or they think that they should be saying. Um, and in, in reality, you know, they're hiding in a corner, sobbing with their animal when it comes time to say goodbye. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's, it's very complicated though. And um, sure. we're dealing yeah. with emotions, loads of emotions yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, yeah no, I know. Absolutely. Um, and you know, another interesting thing I, I've noticed is like, they, it depends on the fair, but like here at one of the fairs, they make all the kids leave um, when like a few hours before they load the animals up onto the slaughter trucks. Um, because they don't want the kids to watch their animals going up onto the slaughter trucks. Wow. And that's because the uh, adults come in and they uh, beat the animals. They electrocute them with electric prods and, and all that to get them, to scare them up onto the, the slaughter trucks. But at the Santa Barbara County Fair, um, it's like a special thing where they let some of the senior students participate in loading them up onto, into, onto the slaughter trucks. It's like, you know, it, it's just... It's just like another example of how, like, as the years go on, they they know that you're becoming less and less, you know, sensitive to what's happening. It sounds like a horror movie, but actually it's true. And it's not like it's not a joke. So in your opinion, what's the best approach to hold these kids accountable for their actions, whether it's in the comment section or in a real life situation face to face? Yeah, I think one of the best ways, honestly, to challenge these programs is by trying to get the animals out of them. Um, so by trying to show these kids that this is not how you have to treat animals in order to love them and spend time with them. Because, um, you know, like I, I've mentioned before, I, I do think a lot of these kids are in this program because they love animals and they want to spend time with them. Um, so I think showing these kids that, hey, you you can rescue animals instead. Um, you don't have to send your animal to slaughter. This isn't the way that the world has to be, um, can be a, a really profound thing for a lot of these students. And, you know, every time we get an animal out of this program, every time we have a student come to us with a change of heart who says, hey, can, can you help me find an animal sanctuary for my animal so I don't have to send him or her to slaughter? Um, we've seen that it really rattles the program because all the other kids, they see that one of the students chose not to kill their animal. And all of those students think, man, why am I killing my animal? If, if I don't have to kill my animal, why am I doing this? And so that's why I've started. It's just kind of a um, casual organization um, that I, I've kind of started called Wilbur's Project. Um, and it's 
you know, intention is to help these kids who had a change of heart rescue their animals. So it's named after uh, Will. It's kind of double meaning because it's Wilbur from Charlotte's Web, which is obviously a story of, of a pig getting saved from a county fair. And then also we have a pig here named Wilbur who we rescued from 4-H, um, who has just a, he had a really heartbreaking story um, of, of what happened to him in the 4-H program. And so um, people can email wilbursproject at gmail.com and I will work, I work with these kids and I help them find placement for their animals. I help them um, make sure that they can get their animals out of these programs and go to sanctuaries. And I think that, like I said, every single time an animal gets out of these programs, every single kid is watching and thinking, why am I slaughtering my animal if I could save them? That's that's fantastic. And so how can you save them if they've signed a contract where it says that you cannot like save them? So how does it work? Yeah. Yeah. So the contract is a new thing. And I think that they put that contract into place because of the work that animal rights activists yeah. and animal sanctuaries are doing. Big surprise. Um, yeah. Because last year we did not have this problem. This year is the first time I've ever run into an issue where they said, hey, you signed a contract. You can't save your animal. Um, So I I don't think 4-H has yet put a contract like that into place. Um, That does not mean that they won't. Um, I I I will follow FFA's footsteps in doing that. Um, and we, you know, we definitely are putting pressure on 4-H and FFA to um, either, you know, never put that contract into place or to stop um, having that contract because it's just a completely disgusting contract to say that, you know, you can't get your animal out of this. Um, but, you know, I think there is a loophole in the the contract and that is, that um, it, it, I believe you could permit your animal to um, go to a farm. Um, so, you know, if the kid wants to say that, that, you know, say that an animal sanctuary is a farm, they can go for it. Um, a lot awesome. of these kids. Yeah. I think like the biggest issue is that a lot of these kids don't want to, you know, for example, with, um, the pig Pumbaa in Orange County. I think if the kid had been, um, and his, if his mom, well, it was more his mom stepped up and said, no, we're done. Your your pig's going to slaughter. I signed a contract. Like, like we're, we're leaving. Um, and like, she literally took the kid's phone away so he couldn't talk to me anymore. Um, and took him off the fairgrounds so that he wouldn't be able to talk to, um, my activists who had showed up to pick up a pig. Um, but if that had not happened, I do think that we probably could have, uh, and, they, and the kid had been there um, and, and said, oh, I'm just, she's just going to a farm. Um, we probably could have, have gotten his pig out. But um, yeah, that's definitely been an, an issue for sure with, with this um, so far this year. I definitely have been getting contacted by fewer kids this year. And I think it's because of this contract, which is a very um, tragic and, and concerning thing. Yeah, I hope you will find a way also to, like to save as many animals as possible because this is truly important for them. And we're talking about their lives at the end of the day. We're not talking about, you know, candies and unicorns here. We're talking about their lives. So, um, you know, and going back to the approach to actually, you know, talk to these kids and hold them accountable of their actions. 
Um, I personally had the opportunity to, as I said, multiple times during the interview, to stay long enough in your comment session to see the type of comments over there. And let me tell you, I was really upset when I saw some comments coming from some vegans and also coming from the teenagers. And um, I had a chance also to talk with one of the, you know, she called herself an activist and she's vegan as well. And um, she was like, um, you know, shaming the kids and stuff like that. Um, I believe this sort of like, uh, behavior actually pushed them away even further. So if there, even if there was like a small opportunity to actually, you know, um, help the animals by making the kids understand what was going to happen and that there is a, a option B and not just, you know, killing them. By having this kind of behavior, you're actually pushing them even further. So, and uh, I don't know if you agree with me and I would love to, to know what you think of it. I think that many activists do activism to prove that they are right and not for the animals. And uh, the thing some people, in my opinion, don't get it is the fact that we are not doing this for ourselves. We're not doing this to prove us right and they wrong. This This is not a battle. This is not a fight between us who don't consume animal products and the ones that are actually consuming animal products. This is a actually, you know, a way to save the animals. So it's all about the animals. It's not about us as humans. So I love to know what you think of it. And um, yeah, so please share with us your thoughts. Yeah, so I, I very much believe that we should, you know, be targeting systems and not individuals. Um, so, you know, obviously I'm all about, you know, attacking and shaming the FFA organization and the 4-H organization. But I think that when it comes to talking to the children themselves, the people, even the, you know, individ- the adults yeah, involved sure. in the program, individual who makes up that organization, they should always be treated with respect. Absolutely. Um, even if they're in the organization itself. Um, and I think, you know, like, like you said, I, I do think it, it turns people away when, you know, we're saying, oh, you're just a heartless monster. Um, sure. you know, they're not going to be like, oh, well, will you help me save my animal? I think that we need to approach the situation as these are kids who have been greatly misled, who need our help to be, you know, guided to, um, see that there's an alternative to what they've been taught. Um, and, and we need to be there for them, even if they're being mean to us, even if they're attacking us and calling us names, we have to recognize that, um, you know, we have to, to come up, uh, come at this with a place from a place of respect. And it's, you know, also just too, when, when they go low, we go high. So, um, you know, we always have to maintain a moral high ground, um, and, and be com- compassionate and kind and, um, even if, again, even if they're not being compassionate and kind to us, you know, I've, um, you know, even if you're out of protest and someone's, um, you know, threatening to, to hurt you, you have to, you have to just be kind and compassionate to them. And I've, you know, been at protests where I've been assaulted. I've had people put their um, hands around my throat and threaten to strangle me. And, you know, you just kind of stand there and have to have some respect for where they're coming from, no matter how, 
you know, horrible they are being because, you know, in the end of the day, when they go low, we have to go high um, and, and, you know, show, we have to set an example. We have to set an example yes. of how we should treat others. And, you know, we can't be advocating to treat animals with respect if we're not treating each other with respect. Couldn't agree more with you. And, um, you know, like, I don't blame, you know, the activists for being, uh, you know, like so overwhelmed by emotions. Because at the end of the day, when you see, you know, those animals going to slaughter just to satisfy your, you know, your sensory pleasure, then I, I'm angry. I'm angry as well. I'm really angry, to be honest, because like, you know, uh, it's really... It doesn't make sense in 2021. It's not a survival situation. You don't need it to survive. We know it by now. So I'm angry as well. Just like the person that is going to leave a bad comment, uh, you know, after another comment stuff. But um, I understand that I'm not doing this for myself. So this is the main thing. I'm doing this for the animals. And so this is like uh, not a personal battle I have to fight for. And it's like uh, stuff that we are fighting for the animals at the end of the day. So um, what do you actively do apart from, you know, speaking up about this on social media, like, you know, to raise awareness about the topic, you do protests, as you said. Do you also offer some sort of counseling to those uh, children to help them out if they have questions? Do you have anything like that? Do you have a website to help them out? Also, like, yeah, you mentioned it before a little bit, but... Yeah, so um, we've, like I said, we've got um, an email address where kids can reach out and, you know, we, we pr promise to keep their identity anonymous unless they, you know, give us consent yeah. to share their story. Um, so that's a big concern a lot of these kids have when they're reaching out is, you know, I don't want to get bullied. So if, if you're going to share my identity, I don't want to contact you. So, you know, we always um, promise not to, to share anyone's identity without their consent. Um, and they reach out to us. So yeah, folks, uh, kids can email us and, and have, have those uh, tough conversations if they've um, decided that they, they've had a change of heart. And, you know, I, we obviously have our animal sanctuary here. We always invite the kids, uh, if, you know, they, they want to try to explore an alternate way of, um, of being around animals and instead treating them with respect and compassion instead of seeing them as a, as property to, to be raised for, for financial gain. You know, these kids can always come out to our sanctuary and, and spend time with the animals um, and, and see that this is the world that we want to create. We don't want to be, be hurting these, these beautiful animals. Um, and then, you know, at, in addition to the protests, we also go into the fairs um, where the kids are with their animals um, and we talk to the kids. So, you know, um, a lot of kids, you know, feel not necessarily comfortable coming up to us during a protest uh, is a little bit more in, intimidating and, and we do recognize that. So we go into the fair and, and we just have, you know, civil conversations with the kids and, you know, encourage them to, to consider sending their animal to sanctuary instead of slaughter and, and consider, you know, alternatives to this program. Is there like, uh, we, we talked about it a little bit before, but like, are you trying to maybe, you know, educate some, also some teachers about the whole thing and showing them that there is also an option B rather than just like black and white, you know? 
Yeah. So the FFA teachers themselves have been incredibly close-minded, unfortunately. Um, now that we've talked to, right. they're, they're very close-minded to, to alternatives to this program. And um, they, it's, it's like they get very defensive. And like I said, like these teachers, they don't want the kids to save their animals because they see it as something that disrupts the program and, and makes the other kids you know, start to think. Um, and, you know, we've, we've had, um, teachers like come and like say to us, Oh, maybe you could come speak to the class, but then, you know, they never actually let us. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, but I mean, other teachers, we've had, um, a decent amount of other teachers at schools who are not the agriculture teachers, not the FFA teachers who have become aware of, you know, the FFA class at their school and have been very disturbed. So um, that's, that's one thing, you know, it's, it's obviously good to have people within these institutions who, um, you know, are pushing back. And to end this interview on a positive note, like, have you heard about the city of Berkeley? I guess this is how it's pronounced. Yeah. Yeah. It's the yeah. first city in the U S that is going to end all purchase of animal products. How cool is that? Like, how awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it's so exciting that um, Berkeley, California is, is moving in that direction. And I'm actually moving to Berkeley next week because I'm wow. starting UC Berkeley. Yeah, so I'm super excited that, that UC Berkeley, uh, that the city of Berkeley has just made this big step. And I'll be working to um, push the university, which unfortunately is not subject to city funding, so it won't be affected by this new rule. But I'll be pushing the school to follow suit and um, do the same uh, so that Berkeley can be completely, um, you know, free of government funding going towards animal agriculture because, you know, it's just <laughs> it's important for the future of animals, for us and, and for the planet. Um, and I, I really hope that this sets a precedent, um, this this new new ruling, because, um, you know, I think we need to see if, if we want a future in this world, we need to see other cities and states and countries following suit and doing the same thing so that, um, you know, we can have a peaceful world for everyone. Sure. That's truly amazing. And do you know if there is any other city around the world that is actually, you know, following Berkeley, uh, you know, way of doing things? Yeah, I, I think that Berkeley is the first city um, and, and still is the first city to commit to, um, you know, setting a plan in place to divest 100% uh, from animal agriculture. So, um, you know, no other cities have, have uh, done what Berkeley's doing, but uh, we feel hopeful that, um, you know, now that Berkeley has proven that it can be done, um, other cities will hopefully follow suit. Sure, you can lead by example. Like, so is there a lie at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, I absolutely think that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think um, it's it's not going to be an easy fight fighting for the rights of animals. I think it's going to be incredibly difficult and it's already incredibly difficult, right? So, yeah. um, you know, I think we all just have to prepare for a really long uh, battle ahead of us um, for these animals and for the planet and recognize that um, it's not necessarily going to be fun. It's not going to be easy. Um, and we're not doing it, like you said, we're not doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for them because they are suffering right now. 
as we speak. They are in factory farms suffering. They are having their throats slit in slaughterhouses. And we all have a moral obligation to speak up and, and fight for a better world. And, you know, we've seen from past social justice movements that it is possible from the civil rights movement, the women's rights movement, all of these other incredible movements that have fought against horrible injustices. Um, we have seen that the public has, you know, started out viewing these movements um, negatively, that, that the public has resisted it, that the government has resisted it, that corporations have resisted it. But as more and more people come together and take action, get out in the streets and fight, that is when we start to see change. And it, it, you know, it, I think that the change will happen slowly at first, but I think at some point there'll just be a ripple effect and, you know, it'll just all kind of go, you know, it'll, it'll just all speed up and everything will start to change and um, we'll have have a world where, where no animals are getting uh, tortured and slaughtered for food. Thank you so much, Zoe, for this eye-opening conversation. And I wish you to keep fighting for these beautiful souls as long as you can. Thank you so much for having me.